When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ding, ding. It should be a heck of a test. Uh, you know, Seattle is uh, very good. Uh, Russell Wilson makes a lot of plays on the move, so we're going to have to be really good defensively. I hope we uh, we perform better offensively than we did last week. Um, third downs, holding on the ball. Um, we need to improve in a lot of areas, so um, hopefully we'll uh, play a lot better this week. Yeah, that's right. Preseason game three is here, and I say, Matthew Collar, who cares about offensive line? Who cares about starting quarterback? Who cares about anything to do with the first teamers who are going to play approximately a half tonight. Let's talk about Mr. Mankato. We really need to talk about We haven't Mr. done this Mankato. enough, and we need to get back to it. We need to talk about the bottom of the barrel and who's winning the battles. Well, in this case, it's actually two players in the lead. Whoever wins the job for the third running back could end up being a significant weapon for the Minnesota Vikings. Mike Boone and Rock Thomas, I believe, are the neck-and-neck neck leaders at this moment for Mr. Mankato. But, Judd, tonight... Yes, sir. There is an opportunity for two wide receivers, and we know that Mr. Mankato has been friendly to wide receivers in the past. There is an opportunity for two wide receivers to make some noise. Do you know who those two wide receivers are, Judd? <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, no, go, go. Keep talking. Tell me. Okay. Chad Beebe. And Brandon Zilstra both have chances to make themselves Mr. Mankato for the Minnesota Vikings tonight. Now, Chad Chad Beebe, in your mind, because I I know you've certainly been writing about him a little bit more in the past week, you thought he emerged last Saturday, correct? And Zilstra didn't play in that game. Right. Zilstra hasn't played in the first two games. He was a favorite for Mr. Mankato, and since he hasn't played because he was digged up, then his chances have gone down. But he has a chance to get back in the lineup tonight. Now with Chad Beebe, when you run through the wide receiver room past the first three who will obviously make the team, being Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, and Laquan Treadwell, it's easy to find a way that Beebe makes the team with the way everyone else is played. I mean, Caleb Jones is suspended for the first four games. He would have been ahead of Beebe. He was your choice, correct? He was my Mr. Mankato choice. And I think I'm a Rock Thomas guy just because I liked his name. So, no, uh, I saw nothing. And Caleb has been good, but he's suspended for four games. So, I think he will make the team, and then they will decide after week four whether they want Caleb Jones to be on the team or not. Mm -hmm. So, he's suspended. Stacey Coley is hurt. Kendall Wright has not been all that impressive. Corey Robertson, Jeff Baddett. Jake Winicky, these guys are nowhere close to making the team at this moment. So where you stand is BB and Zilstra might be battling for that one final spot. And where Chad BB stuck out to me last week was the fact that he got into the game in the second quarter. Now, if the guy is way off and doesn't have any chance, it's at least going to be the second half before he gets in. But the fact that he was in in the second quarter tells me that he's made some noise there and he's good on special teams. And that's one thing that Mike Zimmer, I know, with depth-wide receivers is obsessed with, is you have to be able to play other areas than wide receiver because guess what? They're not throwing Chad Beebe passes over Stephon Diggs. Right. And Kendall Wright, you told me, actually can't play special teams, which might be the death knell for him, right? It it might be, yeah. I mean, they only signed him to a one-year, $1 million contract, and even though he was good last year for Chicago, we haven't seen anything from him. Not preseason games, not training camp practices. There isn't a single time where I could tell you, oh, yeah, this guy's really stood out. In fact, Laquan Treadwell has been much better 
than Kendall Wright in practice. So that tells you about where Kendall Wright stands, that even though he managed to get you know, a number of catches last season, he was also pretty much the only uh, wide receiver on the team on, on Chicago last year, and that's how he racked up his catches. But he hasn't been a standout in any way. So that kind of leaves the door open for both of these guys to make it. So when it comes to this race right now uh, going into the third preseason game, and there will obviously be more competition in preseason game four because a bunch of these guys will continue to play and play a lot in that game. Uh, Where do the running backs stand? How far of lead do the running backs have over the rest of the field right now? For Mr. Mankato? For Mr. Mankato, yes. I don't don't care about the rest of I don't don't care care about the real thing. I don't care about the 53. The 53 bores me right now. But when it comes to Mr. Mankato, the Boone Boone and Rock, where do they – how far in the lead are they right now? Yeah, I think that they are 1-2 or 1-1A, and then there's a 50-mile gap to the next person, which could change. I I mean, if Chad Beebe plays extremely well tonight or Brandon Zilstra, same thing, they've got a chance to close that gap. But – Mike Boone had 91 yards on, like, 13 carries last game. Rock Thomas had the 78-yard touchdown reception. Mm-hmm. They are making the big plays, Judd, that we have come to expect. Splash? Are we talking for, spa- well, we splash are. We're plays. talking splash plays. So those are the two guys to watch tonight because I, I think that the running back race for number three behind Latavius Murray and Delvin Cook, I think it relies very much on what happens over these next two games. But this is the one where teams play their starters longer we might even see Boone or Rock Thomas get in with the ones. Yeah. Really? I mean, they've been so good that they might get in some, fact, you probably some will, reps right? with the ones. Yeah, that's very Because if Cook plays tonight, he's not going to play a ton. No, I bet one series. Right, yeah. I guess. And so once he's out, Murray might play a couple series or so. So it, it does make perfect sense that second quarter, so both those guys would get some type of opportunity with the Cousins and the ones. And I saw our buddy John Krasinski reported that uh, Cook is expected to play tonight. So we will get our first look. At Delvin Cook, Zim came very close on Saturday, actually telling us that. Yeah, he came very close, and then and then he decided not to. Right, and then the the other day too, he said, you know, something like, "Oh, I'm not telling" or whatever, like, and was smiling. So they're like, "Okay, so he's getting in." I mean, I I think we knew that, but um, we will see Delvin Cook a little bit tonight. Uh, Cook doesn't have to do much; just go out, get a couple of carries. Get a, get a feel for his legs underneath him, and that's all he needs. I mean, he has looked spectacular in training camp practice, so he should pick up where he left off. Uh, but these other two guys, I mean, I, I think they only really have room for one. It's hard to see them keeping five running backs because C.J. Ham is making the team. Yeah, because, and, and deserves to. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a, so what, he became so, a really good So the question rusher. becomes this. I think the question becomes, unless one is just so clearly superior at running the ball, I think this comes down to who can do the most. Yep. Who can block who can block the best, who can catch passes, right? Yep. So th- this actually comes down to the versatility of either uh, Rock Thomas or Boone. Yeah, and I think they really like Boone and I saw yesterday even nfl.com had a story where they mentioned some other like personnel directors talking about Mike Boone. And that made me think um, he is going to be the one that stays. And even though this doesn't happen very often, there have been some running back injuries where another team might say, okay, yeah, we are picking up that guy if you try to sneak him through. If you're Washington, it might be a good idea. At this point in their careers. If, if you're Washington and you've, and you've got Peterson and you're relying on him and all of a sudden a young cheap back who can do yeah. more than Adrian can at 33 gets jettisoned, yep. you could make a very good case that it might be very smart to release Peterson at that point because he's going to be making nothing and pick up a guy like Boone or uh, Rock Thomas. Yeah, and I don't know what with Thomas whether he is going to get picked up if they release him or not, uh, but he's been really good too. And, and both of them have showed some exceptional ability running and passing. And, and, and that's where... Um, it's going to be such a tough decision for them. Now, Boone is the better athlete, but Thomas was a former five-star recruit and has a great feel for the game. It's going to be a tough decision. It might, I think it probably is Boone, unless Rock Thomas comes out and performs really, really well. We are at the point of training camp, uh, Collar, and, we, and you and I and Mackie and the crew have talked so much Vikings and football. I got to come clean about something. Okay. Last night, I had a dream. <laughs> that my mother dropped me off at the Vikings facility. I went inside and talked football with Zim. Wow. And I'm not kidding you. 
You have reached peak preseason football. <laughs> I'm not. When, I, this when, is this is not made up. This is not a joke. It was vivid. It was it was vivid as can be that I went in. I think it was Winter Park, so it was a little bit off. Okay. But I went into the Vikings facility a after bit my off mom with your mother dropping you. My off, mom too. dropped me off, which is weird. Yes, especially since she died a year ago, and she dropped me off, and I went in and talked football with Zim. This is this is how preseason we got. That is how football yeah. you are right now. So take that, Mister Football. That's impressive. Um, so some other things to watch for tonight. If there are any Mr. Mankato contenders that could come up and really stun us, Judd. One of them is Afedi Odenabo. Okay. Uh, he had two sacks in the last game. By that point, most people had gone out to mow their lawns, I think. I mean, that game was so I hope bad they had. Right. You, you have a problem. If you, if you weren't paid to watch that game and continued to watch it, God bless you. I saw some people... Um, who were upset that NFL Network switched away from that game, Vikings-Jaguars. I'm like, bless your soul for watching at the end of Vikings-Jaguars. I hope tonight is better. But uh, the defensive line will be something to watch, I think. Uh, Everson Griffin is not going to play, so you might have an opportunity for someone to step up and make a name for themselves against Seattle's first-team offense. And, you know, we don't really know where it stands behind the starters right now. To Sean Bauer, Stephen Weatherly, guys like that. Where do they kind of fit in? Is there really going to be a defensive line rotation? And you know, could we see Anthony Barr a little bit tonight at defensive end? They were practicing that. I don't think no. The other I, day, I don't think you see anything that tips off what they're going to do. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't right. bother yeah. with it because you can practice it. See, that's where I'm conflicted about Zimmer because he's done this stuff in the past, and I asked Anthony about this. I was like, we were kind of talking about this another time, about you coming off the edge more. And he was like, yeah, we've practiced it and done things like that, but we've never really worked it into the games as much as I want to. So, yeah, maybe maybe we won't see that tonight. I'm just thinking about the things that are worth keeping an eye on. And unfortunately, Judd, mm-hmm. the rules are on my list. I did my list of ten things I've on our site. i got it right in front of me, yes. I'm, they should be. For every preseason game, we they, have, they have to, to be. We have to worry about whether there's going to be goofy penalties and there will be probably i don't think they're going away from this i, I eventually eventually we might get it to a point where it's not a weekly discussion but i think we're in for several more weeks including into the season where this is going to be a conversation of some sort it might not be every game but i think this is going to remain a conversation point of calls and and uh, conjecture about why calls were, were made for at least the first quarter, if not a bit more, of the season. So I saw a stat, Unfortunately. Judd, I saw a statistic that did make me a little concerned. You know that I have been very calm about these bad calls in you these and preseason Seifert, games. You and Seifert have both been very, very calm and, about this. And because Seifert is calm about it, that's why I am, because he focuses a lot on this in his yep. writing, is, is things like the rules. Yep. So I haven't been freaking out when there are bad penalties in these preseason games. But I saw a statistic that the NFL went through all of them and found that the referees had only gotten 51% of them even right. So all the complaints, yeah. Oh, I didn't see that stat. The helmet rules, and and we saw one last week with, um, you know, C.J. Ham. Yep. uh, The the Jaguars player tackles them, and they throw a flag, and everyone is baffled. And that was a wrong one, and there have been plenty of wrong ones. In fact, almost half of them. Now, that's where I would say you've got a long way to go then. Like these penalties that are changing games, you've got a long way to go before you're even getting them right. That's where I would be worried in the first few weeks of the season. If they're still calling them wrong on such a regular basis, then there has to be a severe change. Mm-hmm. So, and so that'll be something to watch tonight. Do they make any mistakes with these penalties in the in the Vikings Seahawks? So when do you turn the corner of actually becoming uh, um, concerned? About the penalties? Yeah, I mean, do do you need to see do you need to see a meltdown in week one? I would say probably I won't until like week four, because wow. I will. It'll be my ex- expectation early in the season that they are still going to get some of these wrong, yep. which can cost you a season. You know, I mean that. Well, that's in the thing. Those first couple of weeks, that that's what Mike Zimmer was saying is that he's concerned that it's going to cost people yes. their seasons because there are these bad calls. Well, yeah, because. Seifert had a tweet a couple days ago which pointed out that it's actually a very small percentage of the plays that are being called. And I'm with him on that. My concern is it's not the percentage of the plays, it's which plays. 
you know, it takes one. I mean, if you have a if you have a, a third down sack and you think we're getting off the field, but yet um, your your defensive end used seventy six point two percent of his body weight to land on the quarterback. <laughs> right, right. Now it's a fifteen yard penalty. It's a first down, and you're probably have gone from being backed up and punting to being in opposing territory. Right. So that that's my concern. Right. And right. I just don't know. I I keep going back to this. I don't know how the people on the field are supposed to get this right. Yeah. Like, I can't blame them. I think that they will adjust, that the players will adjust, that they'll send out enough videos to show the players, here's exactly what you can and cannot do when it comes to tackling and hitting and things like that, because they've adjusted in the past. It's just when it comes to the early season and here in the preseason, I think that there will still be some frustrations, but... They usually figure these things out as we go along. So we all kind of flip out and get upset about the bad penalties, especially in the preseason, and then they get it. It's just when I saw that stat that the league went through them and found that there were more or just about half of these penalties were not even right, I thought, gosh, these referees are so far off on this that they don't even understand how to call it. And and that's my concern. That's my concern is that they are in in a possible position – and that if if I felt that they could just flip a switch and start to get these right, but I don't think they know what they're looking for. Maybe and the league's not articulating to them what they should be looking for. Maybe it should be a one-year thing, just this year, where they can review them, because it's a, because the the rules are new. So just this year alone, and then after that, then they won't do it anymore. But just this year alone, they go through yep. when there's one of those penalties. The, maybe if if the if the coaches want it to be looked at or whatever else. Then they go and look at it, and that would make games longer and frustrating, but I feel like you have to do something. There has to be some sort of solution because they're so far off, and the players don't know what's being called, and the, the coaches don't know And the officials don't really and they, know. And when they're I, trying. Right, and when I saw the officials didn't either, I thought, okay, so it's not just that they need to tweak the rule to make it right. Yep. It's that they're not even calling it right. So, yes, that is part of the conversation for tonight. Will they get the rules correct? Will, will there be more issues? Will it be a three-and-a-half-hour game? Will like Zimmer we saw melt down? Will Zimmer possibly completely right, lose his stuff? He remained calm. Yep. All that's on the table for tonight. All right, let's uh, take a break. A rainy day here at the State Fair. The show is Mackie and Judd. Matthew Collar joining me uh, today out here at the fair. We are right by the grandstand. If you do come out with an umbrella, uh, we also have uh, $3, 1500 ESPN ponchos out here if you need some more uh, cover. One new Viking is wearing the number 28, and uh, it appears several Vikings fans are upset. Let's discuss next. So, uh, Collar, a couple days ago, uh, George Iloka shows up having been signed by the Vikings, and I know you were out there at practice, and he's wearing the number 28, which has caused a bit of debate now because this is, if I am not mistaken, I'm most positive I'm correct here, this is the first player to be given the number 28 uh, post-Adrian Peterson. And I think there was an expectation among some because it hadn't been given out yet that uh, that uh, jersey number was going to be set aside until Peterson was done playing and then retired. Here's my contention. And you, you did a big story when Moss went into the Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago on the history of, of 84 with the Vikings and how it's sort of bandied about from guy to guy and it's been nondescript players. And, and BB has it now and he is a, a training camp invitee, basically. Uh, if you are not going to retire 84, then I say 28's fair game. Well, first of all, I would say that George Iloka told the media he's not sticking with 28. Because of his respect for Adrian Peterson, he is going to make the change once they have more numbers available. So he will not be number 28 this year. So don't yell at George Iloka for this. Um, I, I would also say that after going through the history of number 84, yeah, there are a lot of nondescript people who have had it, guys that you don't remember really, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of great stories behind it, and that's why I decided to write the article. Yep. I mean, there's Eric Gulliford who had one catch, but it was a 40-yard catch to beat the Packers. 
There was uh, Dave Middleton was the first guy to have it who quit football at the age of 28 after being a first-round pick to go into medicine. <laughs> Just like where the league was at that time. Yeah. Guys were quitting the NFL to go become a doctor. And get rich that way. Right, and then get rich that way. And that, So, it, you know, the, the number 84 has such a funny and bizarre history before and, and after Randy Moss. Bucky Hodges getting it in training camp and saying he wanted to carry on its legacy. There was uh, Michael Jenkins catching a comeback touchdown from Christian Ponder and Ponder comparing himself to Michael Jordan after the game. I, I was mean, there for that game. There were so many great stories. Tony Bland giving up the number uh, that I thought, man, it would be a shame almost if you retired any of these numbers because football isn't really like that. I mean, with basketball, it's like, okay, Michael Jordan was the Chicago Bulls. So you retire 23 because an individual can be a franchise in basketball. Mm -hmm. An individual can't really be a a franchise in football. Randy Moss would come the closest or Tom Brady or someone like that. So I get why people would want to have it retired to honor him. But he's already in the ring of honor. And I think it's great that it kind of goes on and carries on, and then eventually you look up and Chad Beebe has Randy Moss's number. I think that's great. So I'm against, across the board, in the NFL, retiring numbers. I am for rings of honor, of course. Like, make sure that you're honoring the greats who play this game, but as far as retiring numbers, yeah, don't do that, because if you keep doing that, then you're eventually going to get to the next guy who deserves to have it, and you're going to run out of numbers. You see, in... In the case of Moss, I've always said, because the Vikings have gone down this path with uh, number 10 for Tarkington, 88 for Page, I've always said Moss, to me, changed the game in the franchise and the league enough that he deserves it. Peterson's a great player, and he is a Hall of Fame player, and he is a Ring of Honor player for the Vikings, obviously. Um, I just don't see how there can be outrage about 28 being given out when 84 is already. And if they're just going to draw the line, to me, if you're not, if, to me, if you're not going to retire 84, then you're basically done, right? Like, there's nobody right. else. Like, who else is going to come along? And you're like, well, 28 has to go in. No, he doesn't. Um, I'm not nearly as adamant about you on this topic. I actually like it when they do retire the greatest of the greats. So I'm not talking about really good players. I'm not talking about players that people liked. I'm talking about Hall of Fame type players. And Peterson's borderline. I just don't get the argument in saying, oh, 28, you know, how can I loca take this? Well, okay. As your uh, column demonstrated, Hank Baskett had 84. (laughs) Um, Andre Allison had 84. And so, so I think what the, I think what the Vikings are saying is we're done doing it. And I think, I think Andre Allison was the first to take it yes i think you're and, right and, and i think hank basket might might have been the second and allison got a lot for it got a lot of junk for it um well it was but, i wouldn't have wanted it at that point yeah me if too, i'm him because, i'm like right. can i can i have 18 right right because moss had just can I have 19 can i take um, another receiver number that i don't need 84 but that's see it's all to me it's all part of the great history of the number and maybe 28 would have the same article that I would write when Adrian Peterson goes into the Hall of Fame where I look into the great history of the number 28 with the Vikings. Um, and, and that's why I, I don't like any number of retirements at all. If there was an argument for one player in Vikings history to do it, yeah, Randy Moss certainly is in that conversation along with Fran Tarkenton and Alan Page. But then you're kind of like, you're a little slippery slope here. And I don't like slippery slope arguments at all. See, I love them. People who are like, well, if we do this, then we got to do that. Now, I'm not into that. But yeah, I love those. But if you, okay, so Randy Moss is, is, is incredible, right? And yep. he changes the entire trajectory of the franchise. That's really rare. But in 2026, someone else may be drafted who changes the trajectory of the Minnesota Vikings franchise and leads them to a Super Bowl. And in 2035, it might happen again. And the point is just, are we just going to retire everybody's number? Eventually, we're getting along the line where it's not like baseball, where there's only 25 players, or basketball, where there's only 12. Right. And I numbers think, and have I think, to be given out to people. And I, I don't necessarily uh, personally agree with what you're saying, but I think the franchise does. I think the franchise is making it very clear that if we go down this road and we give out and, and 84 goes away and then 28 does, I think the Vikings are very much saying what you are. I just, I don't, I don't understand, and I got some uh, feedback on Twitter last night, I don't understand the people who, who are saying, oh, 28 has to be. And then I say, well, if that has to be the case, then 84 does too. And they're like, no. Peterson changed this and that. 
Adrian Peterson was an enormous difference maker for the Vikings, and he's a Hall of Fame type of player, I believe, and he, he had an enormous impact. But if you want to go with impacts, Randy Moss, in my lifetime of following this team, as far as guys who came along, Moss is number one easily. Peterson didn't change the game. Yeah. He, Peterson had a God-given ability to do something that a, lot, that, that a select few have done. And so there was nothing he did where you said, I've never seen that before, oh my gosh. Now, that might be the case as a Viking, but that's not the case for the National Football League. When you watched Randy play, especially in 98 and early on, he did things that I don't think we had seen before. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, if we're, we're, we could be talking about two different things, because in a lot of ways I stand with the team as, as far as, like, let's just not retire numbers, put people in the ring of honor. But if we're talking about the legacies of the different players here, uh, Adrian Peterson's legacy, I think, is much more complex. Even though Randy Moss had bumps in the road and plenty of moments where he uh, embarrassed the franchise or he didn't get along with media or he mooned the Packers or whatever. It oh, might, yeah, he's a complex dude, what, too. Whatever it might be, right. But there's, yep. I think that there's a different feeling about Adrian Peterson that I, I Randy Moss is universally loved you would have to if you went around the fair today and asked every person how they feel about randy moss you might find three people who didn't like him or who don't like him now yeah if you went around with adrian peterson i think it's split i think it's split of people i think who still hold the thing with his kid against adrian peterson and also the fact that they just really weren't that competitive during his entire time here i think the feeling about peterson right now remains more far more raw when moss left here it was it. It felt much more convoluted than it does now. Yeah, he's retired. It's been a long time. Even the 2010 four-game debacle is a long ways away. So I think the feelings that you're talking about uh, describing Adrian Peterson's relationship with Viking fans right now were true of Moss at one time. But yeah, and he just didn't. You know, Peterson. The problem is this. Um, Moss played in the 98 NFC title game, and the Vikings lost a heartbreaker. And the same for Peterson in in 2009. (laughs) But unfortunately for Peterson, the memory of the Saints game in 2009 is always going to be he single-handedly helped screw that entire thing up. Right. The fumbles. Yeah. You know? I mean, you look at the fumbles, and you can't ignore them. And and the fact is, if he hangs on to the ball in a few situations in that game, they win. And and that's what also complicates Peterson's legacy. Yeah, I I mean, even more so than Randy Moss, because Randy Moss may have been frustrating at the times where he didn't try as hard as you wanted him to, where he didn't run the routes as hard, or he didn't block as much as you wanted to, and things like that. Uh, But with Peterson, there's the big moments you could point to, and even the game against Seattle. He's got a key fumble in 2015, and yep. maybe if he doesn't have that key fumble, and the Blair they Walsh, don't win. And the Blair Walsh 27-yard miss makes us forget that. Yeah, exactly. But that was the absolute crucial play, too. Yeah, yeah. him, him fumbling that ball was, was a big deal. And a lot of people, if you don't really love Adrian Peterson, because he, every time I write about it or talk about it, I get emails from some of his hardened fans who mm-hmm. just want to fight you over Peterson still being the best running back in the league. Uh, but... You know, I think most people look at him as, well, you know, there was some really great times and there was some incredible runs and the 2,000-yard season is one of the craziest things that's ever happened. But there were a lot of down moments with him too. And if you're talking about comparison, or comparing which player's number to retire, I don't think that the conversation's even close. It's not. It's I, think it's, I think it's 84 but by the Peterson 50 people miles. who want to fight you think, yeah. think it's very close and think that their guy deserves it. And that's, that's my point, banging my head against the wall. I covered Peterson's entire career. He was fantastic in his day, but he didn't change the National Football League. Yeah, there, there have been a number of running backs who were like him. And I could easily justify having 84 go to the rafters and 28 not. And, and 28 is, I mean, Adrian Peterson is one of the better running backs of all time. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you can make an argument he's not even in the top 20. I mean, as far as there were so many players who have done much <laughs> more. Out. You're sitting on a stage out no, here. No, but, it's, but it's, it's true, though. I mean, Adrian And that Peter- rope's not going to protect a- you from Adrian Peterson the- is one of the greatest running backs ever. But if you're talking about we've only got – one space that we can retire a number is it yeah. 84 or is it 28 so peterson is in around that category of better running backs but randy moss is in the argument for number one wide receiver of all time the most unstoppable wide receiver ever so to me that's a big gap not just what goes along with peterson being suspended in 2014 which i think people still hold on to 
but it goes to just the caliber that the player rose to where Moss went to an all-time level that is only in the category of Jerry Rice, mm-hmm. and Peterson I don't think is quite there. We are not done talking football. Hardcore football. football. Sam Munson, Pro Football Focus, joins us next. Mackie and Judd is Zolgad and Collar today from the State Fair. SPN. And this portion of Mackie and Judd is sponsored by Fratelloni's Ace Hardware and Garden Stores, also a proud sponsor of the beer show. This should be a heck of a test. Uh, you know, Seattle is uh, very good. Uh, Russell Wilson makes a lot of plays on the move, so we're going to have to be really good defensively. I hope we. Uh, we performed better offensively than we did last week. Um, third downs, holding on the ball. Um, we need to improve in a lot of areas. So um, hopefully we'll uh, play a lot better this week. Mackie and Judd uh, from the State Fair, right by the grandstand, if you want to come by, drop by and say hi on this rainy uh, Friday, is actually Zolgat and Collar today. And uh, James Murphy, why don't you go ahead and fire up the football sounder because we're about to break it down right now. Football! Football, yeah! Football! Football. Sam Sam Munson, pro football focus. Nobody digests the meat and potatoes of football like Sam. What's going on, Sam? How are you today? Doing good. How are you guys? We are a little bit wet, but fantastic. Uh, Let's start you off with this one. Uh, the Vikings' defense is obviously coming off an outstanding season in which they led the league in uh, scoring defense and also total defense. What is your expectation uh, for this team in uh, 2018 now, and uh, how do you think the addition of uh, George Iloka at safety might change things and or even improve things for a defense that's already very good? Yeah, I think think the defense is going to be primed for another really big year. You know, the Mike Zimmer was, has always been able to consistently create quality defenses. I think his Vikings defenses have been even better than his, his Cincinnati ones were. Um, the talent level is higher. I think he's got more quality players, um, and they're being locked down long term. I think he's got a lot of good components in the building that are going to be there for, for time to come. Um, Iloka, I think, is a, a good addition. He's a, a decent starting safety, and the Vikings don't need him to start. They're going to bring him in essentially as cover or a guy that can, you know, challenge for some playing time and some sub-packages or that kind of thing. But by and large, he's, he's an addition, a depth addition that they were able to get for an extremely reasonable amount of money because he's got that connection to, to Mike Zimmer because the the history between the two of them. So I think that's a, a really shrewd piece of business, and it kind of buys the Vikings a little bit of contingency. You know, a lot of times um, the teams that go far into January playoff football, the teams that are challenging for a Super Bowl are the teams that get lucky when it comes to injuries. And if you can't get lucky from because, or if you can't get lucky when it comes to injuries, at least you can do is get yourself a bit of contingency, a bit of backup plan, plan B in place. And I think that's what the Vikings did with uh, iLocal. Sam, I, I think that Iloka opens up Harrison Smith to do a lot of interesting things, too. I was using the Pro Football Focus statistics package to look into all the different Sorry, guys, places. I'm having trouble hearing you. I can't, uh, I can't hear the questions at the moment. Oh, sorry. Do you, do you got us now, Sam? You're very faint. I can barely hear you. Oh, uh, maybe, James, if there's a way to, to turn us up a little bit. Um, Sam, if, if you've got me, I'm, I'm curious about the different ways that the Vikings can use Harrison Smith now that they have George Iloka. Yeah, I think one of the benefits to Harrison Smith is that he is a complete safety. He can play in any defensive scheme. I've said before that I think he's the guy that actually makes that defense tick because the Vikings under Zimmer, they like to run a lot of different coverages. They'll skip between cover two, quarters coverage, cover six, this cover, cover, or quarter-quarter uh, half look in the secondary um, or they'll run between one single high safety or, or two safeties and Harrison Smith is the, the guy that allows him to do all that because he can play any of those safety roles and it means that no matter what they want to call on a given play they know that they've got this chess piece that can move around and enable everybody to get in the right position because you've got one guy that can be the Swiss Army knife so yeah, I think Harrison Smith is always the linchpin within that secondary because he's the guy that can play in any different, any type of defense they want to run. He's the one that could move around and make it happen. So regardless of 
whether the other starting safety becomes Sendejo or um, or Iloka, I think Harrison Smith is the key to that whole unit. Hey, Sam, uh, g- given their play in 2017 and, and the fact that, that they are a banged-up uh, core right now, what should be the level of concern as we get closer to September 9th about the Vikings' offensive line? Yeah, I think that's this team's biggest question mark heading into the season. It was um, it was a much better unit a season ago than it was the year before that, but it, it, it wasn't good. And even when it was at its best, it was extremely thin. It didn't have any kind of depth. And as soon as the Vikings had to go into the bench late in the season, that's when the whole thing completely fell apart and the real problems started to arise in the playoffs. They just couldn't deal with the, the better defensive fronts that they were facing. The Saints were almost able to finish them off with some incredible uh, pass rushing up front from Cameron Jordan, amongst others. And then the Eagles' defensive front just completely destroyed the, the offensive line. I think Case Keenan was under pressure 48% of his dropbacks in that game, which is just basically an unmanageable level. You know, if you're up near 50%, the quarterback essentially has no shot of playing in the game. Um, so offensive line play in the NFL today is all about how bad your weakest link is. And if you have a weakest link that's going to get exposed all the way through the game, it can completely derail a game plan. So, you know, the Vikings, I think they've got the personnel in place to have an okay offensive line if everybody's healthy. Again, their problem, though, is going to be what happens if they're forced into the bench, if they're forced to bring on some of these guys that have proven to be not up to that standard. And that's where they may run into some issues. So, Sam, I think the one assumption about this line is that Reef at left tackle is solid. Uh, from your perspective and all the film that you go through and the grades that you assign, uh, give, me, give me what you think is the proper perception and or reality of, of Reef. Because Collar and I have discussed this, and he's brought up the fact that, that Riley's play in the second half of last year actually uh, descended quite a bit. Is Riley Reef a solid National Football League left tackle? Or are, are the Vikings, in your mind, a little too comfortable with what he brings there? I think over his career, he has been a solid left tackle. Um, I think his kind of baseline over his entire career is basically been a, an average starting left tackle, maybe a little bit better than that when it comes to run blocking, a little bit worse than that when it comes to pass protection. But last season was, I think, by far the worst season of his career um, for the Vikings. And the second half of the season in particular was... It was terrible. It was, he got poor PFF grades basically in every single week from week 10 onwards. The Washington game onwards, he got um, a negative grade from us every single game. And if anything, it was getting worse as the season went on. Now, I don't know if he um, had an injury that he started carrying late in that season that really um, hampered his performance. But the player we saw last year does not live up to the player that we've seen over the, the previous kind of five seasons of his career. I think he is a better player than that inherently. So in theory, you know, you would, you could expect Riley Reef to bounce back after that season. You know, this is, this is a guy who has been a much better player over his career than he showed last year. Yeah, Sam, uh, he was battling an injury toward the second half of the season. That was one of the things that we talked about is if he gets banged up, there can uh, definitely be an issue there at left tackle. When you look at the NFC, uh, I think that it's just perfect for Vikings fans that they finally have a year where they feel like the roster is super stacked and they know who their quarterback is. And then you look around the NFC and, oh, yeah, all the rest of the teams are also stacked. So how are we supposed to kind of put the Vikings up against these other NFC teams like the Rams, like the Saints, to try to figure out which direction this could go with the NFC being so tough? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the big challenge for a team like Minnesota is that the NFC this year looks absolutely stacked, and it was the same case last season. So the Vikings have gotten good at, at, at a time where a lot of other teams have gotten really good. The Eagles, obviously Super Bowl champions, they look in remarkably good shape when it comes to the roster um, coming off a of Super Bowl. You know, you, you didn't have this hemorrhaging of talent that usually happens. Even just last night in the preseason game, you look at their defensive uh, defensive line, Death is just absurd. The guys that have no shot of making that roster are good quality pass rushing players. Um, so, you know, the Eagles are stacked. The Saints aren't going anywhere. But I think you could easily make a case that, you know, seven or eight of the top nine or ten teams in the entire league are all in the NFC. 
I think the NFC is going to be an absolute battle amongst all of these playoff contending teams. Um, and, and it's a much stronger conference right now than the AFC is. So the, the Vikings are, in a way, they're really well positioned because they have this pretty good-looking roster. They've got a team with a lot of pieces in place. But the, the NFC could be an absolute bloodbath this year. Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus joining me, Matthew Collar, and Judd Zolgad. Let me circle back quick to the offensive line, Sam, and how much does a poor offensive line impact quarterbacks? I imagine the answer is different for everyone. Russell Wilson might be able to survive. How does Kirk Cousins react when he does not have everything perfect up front? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because um, when we've been running the data, the analytics on how that kind of thing affects quarterbacks, pressure, uh, how quarterbacks perform from a clean pocket is far more predictive and far more stable than how they perform when they're under pressure. Um, you know, typically, that's, it's, it's much more predictive year to year than how guys do under pressure, which can fluctuate wildly. Sometimes guys can have fantastic seasons, under pressure, sometimes it can it, it swings dramatically and it's it's disastrous. Um, so you've got to bear in mind right off the bat that it's just more, it's less of a predictive thing. Guys can fluctuate wildly, but I think Kirk Cousins has typically been a player that has been really really good when he's been kept clean. You know, if you are able to protect him in the pocket, his passer rating is usually way up over a hundred, um, and that's when he's at his absolute best. When he, when he has been under pressure, he's been one of the quarterbacks whose performance I think has slipped the most, or he typically struggles more than other quarterbacks when he is put under pressure. Um, and inherently, he's a player, I think, that is more of a high-variance kind of passer than the guys that have been the Vikings quarterbacks over the past couple of years, whether it's Bradford, whether it was Keenum last year. Um, you're going to get more, I think, big, high-end plays. He's capable of making more sort of splash plays, these big-time throws down the field that can potentially win you games that you won't get if you're more conservative or if you're more of a game-managing quarterback. The flip side to that is he's going to make more mistakes than those guys as well. He's going to put the ball in harm's way more, um, and he's going to, I think, create more turnovers than those guys because of that. So, yeah, the, the Kirk Cousins thing behind that offensive line and really in that Minnesota offense is going to be one of the, the most fascinating storylines to watch in the entire season because it's such an interesting uh, marriage between Cousins and that offense. It's a marriage that in some ways is perfect. It could potentially push them over the hump and give them a quarterback that's capable of winning them games that a guy like Keenum or Bradford weren't necessarily able to do, but it could come at the cost of creating more problems and, and maybe digging themselves a hole that's deeper than those guys would have to begin with. Okay, Sam, we had a 5 nothing game last night in the preseason. I want you to give me a prediction for the most random and goofy and stupid preseason thing that could happen tonight between the Vikings and Seahawks. Yeah, 5 nil game is a uh, 5-0 game is some pretty Five nil is fine, Sam. I like 5 nil more. Saying, I was actually on either side of a 2-0 game. So <laughs> anytime you can get a 2-0 game, I think you're, that's when you know you're hitting the good stuff. Now, I said because Chad Beebe, Don Beebe's son, is in the game, I think that we'll have one of those fumbles that goes out of the back of the end zone as a touchback, you know, as a guy's running for a touchdown. That's, that's my goofy prediction. But, uh, Sam, thanks for those are, on, Yeah, those are, you, Sam. those are horrible plays. I, hate, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't even like looking at those plays. They, <laughs> it's, it's just such a huge swing in a game. It's eye-gouging. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Take it All easy. Right, Sam Munson, Pro Football Focus, uh, check out his work. He does, and, and that whole crew actually does outstanding work uh, that, that I know, Matthew Collar, you consult a lot. Let's uh, take a break, come back, and uh, react to some of the things that Sam Munson had to say. Mackie and Judd Zolgan and Collar today, we're at the State Fair. The Great Minnesota Get-Together is finally here. While you're making your State Fair plans, be sure to add 1,500 ESPN to your list. Swing by our booth on the corner of Dan Patch and Chambers to watch your favorite shows broadcast live from the front porch and check out the new merchandise in the pro shop more details can be found at 1500espn.com back to state fair uh, zolgad and collar uh, today chris long uh, channel 5 eyewitness news is going to join the show around 11 chris singleton will make his weekly appearance around 11 30 espn sunday night baseball analyst always an enjoyable conversation and uh, twin cbo Derek falvey 
right now is scheduled to join us around 12.15 or so for a discussion on the state of the uh, Minnesota Twins franchise, where they've been in 2018, where they might be going in 2019. Um, Sam Munson is very good, as you know, Collar. You you spent a lot of time uh, with Pro Football Focus information and talking to guys like Sam for the Purple Podcast. Um, his comments were very interesting, and I would like to start here. I am. I think we can both say that we are that we're both positive about the 2018 Vikings. So this is not a negative conversation, okay? But I do think that what we, what fans and what what certain members of the media lack in this market is reality at times. And so let's take what he said about Wiley Reef and dissect that, because the you know the perception here is the offensive line is sort of a mess, rightfully so. Now if guys get back, it might be okay. But I also think the perception is, but left tackle is solid. And going from T.J. Clemmings to Riley Reef was a massive step up. It and was. it was the right move, and it was a good move. So the Vikings did the right thing there. But I do find it interesting, and you brought this up to me on, on several occasions as, as it unfolded last year as well. I find it very intriguing that we know for a fact that Reef got hurt at some point last year, right. and the left tackle position was not as solid. Yes. So where, where in your mind, as we approach September 9th and opening day, does that position stand? Because if you're going to pick a position that's absolutely um, imperative that it protects Kirk Cousins, it probably starts there. Well, you know, this, this conversation actually takes me in a different direction a little bit. Sure. Uh, because now Sam's assessment of the situation is, look, Riley Reef should actually be better this year because he's a better player than what he was in the second half of the season. And I told you, he had that injury last year in the second half, and that really hurt him and hurt that performance at that position because through the first five weeks, I thought that he was really good. I wrote a big article about how Riley Reef was at the center of fixing the offensive line last year because at that time, he had been excellent, but I think it was an ankle issue. It might have kept him out the Ravens game. Remember, he left the Ravens game, yes. I believe, and they had to shuffle everything around. Well, I that, remember he was injured, yeah. Yeah, that was where it started, and then I, I thought it was kind of a, a lingering thing throughout the season. He would miss practices, and he was trying to hang on. He's an extremely tough guy. He's one of the toughest guys that I've been around, where even tough guys in the locker room look at him and go yeah he's he's the man so he probably was playing through stuff that he should have taken a week or two off and maybe they'll learn from that uh this year if they have to slide over Rashad Hill or something to left tackle for a game uh but it brings me also kind of back to the quarterback conversation with okay if your offensive line isn't perfect you brought in a quarterback and paid him all this money who's not good when he gets pressured that that's one of his Achilles heels, and that's, I, I think, just goes along with his skill set. But if you keep him clean, he's fantastic. I mean, that's what Sam was saying. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL if he has time to throw the ball. And then you didn't build a line that gives him a chance to throw the ball. The other conversation would be this, that Case Keenum in the second half of the season last year dealt with so well all the pressure that he faced. Imagine if you had brought Case Keenum back and invested more on the offensive line, would it have kind of made up the difference between what we expected from Keenum and what they have in Cousins? I mean, I, I know that this is sort of like one of those... Yeah, but where, where would you have... I mean, I, I am completely on the same page as you. The guard position, I think that the right guard position in particular should have been paid far more attention to. But I wouldn't have looked at the rest of that line necessarily if you had done that and said, I need more. So, so what, if they, well, what if they did this? What if they brought back Case Keenum? Let's say that Kirk Cousins signs with the Jets. They were after him. He signs with the Jets. They bring back Case Keenum. And then they sign Nate Solder at right tackle. And they overpay for him, but he's a good player. And then maybe they sign Justin Pugh or another quality left guard that was out there or where, whatever. Or draft and Will Hernandez. goes to right guard. Or, or, or right. draft Will Hernandez. And then yep. he goes to. And so now you've got this offensive line that's pretty well beefed up yep. because you could spend a little more there without 
that extra $10 million that you're paying Cousins over what you were going to give Keenum, does that make up some of the difference because Keenum does not lose yards on sacks I, and is okay. decent under pressure? Okay, in my mind, no, because in my mind there's going to be a regression there that's going to be enough that, that no matter how much you protect him or you don't, I think Case Keenum, I'm not saying he's going to go back to being the Rams' Case Keenum, but I think we're going to see somewhere in between the Rams and Vikings guy, and, and if I'm the Vikings, I want to upgrade on that. And Denver doesn't really have a, a great offensive line, so I think he's still facing an uphill battle there. They don't have a Stephon Diggs or an Adam Thielen either. And, yes, I agree that he's going to drop back a little bit. But I think that as, as much as he was facing in the second half of that season last year, as far as pressure, if you reduced some of that, you might have been able to mitigate or deal with some of the regression that might come along with things that bounced his way, the fact that he only had one fumble, lost the whole season, the fact that he had some interceptions dropped and things like that. I, I It goes through my mind with everything that the Vikings do, how the quarterback contract impacts everything sure. else. And yes, it and does. I, I can't yeah. help but think about the offensive line and where we're at with it and how that is impacted by what you pay Kirk Cousins. And if I thought that Keenum was going to, to maintain a semblance of an MVP-type year that we saw in 2017, I'd agree completely, but I don't. I really don't. And so because of that, I think going out and signing the best quarterback that they could possibly sign in their minds is a very smart move. The only thing I don't get is why you didn't look at right guard and say we have to do something yeah. there. The injuries, if they happen, they're a huge problem because, because you name me a team in this league among all of them that can have one, two, or three injuries on the line and absorb it and say, but next guy up is fine. Yeah, That's just not the case. Right. Offensive line is incredibly tough to, to fill now, as Sam said. He's right on that. So the only thing I question is why you didn't do more about right guard. Yep. And, and I think that that just leads to things now Easton's hurt. Okay, now he has to be replaced, and now it's a trickle down. The reef one just interests me because I think the Lions have moved him to right tackle. From left tackle to right tackle, and I think he struggled there and didn't like it there. And then he went back to left tackle, and as you said, he played very well for a period of last year and then got hurt. And, and that's just obviously a position that we take for granted is going to, to hold up. But if it doesn't, you got a huge problems. So that was my, my point there. Oh, yeah, and, and it all comes back to that. And, and that's what I think that Kirk Cousins' uh, performance this year is going to be determined by. It, it's not just the weapons that he has, which we know are very good. It's also how well he's protected. And I, I, I like that Sam Monson, who we had on before, if you missed it, you can hear it on demand at, at our website. But, I mean... I love how he, he just lays it out there so clearly of like, look, when this guy has been protected, he's been really darn good right. in his career. Yep. And you see that in training camp. But even you could see it in the preseason game last week when Aviant Collins and Riley Reef having a tough time against the Jaguars defensive line, when they surrounded him a little bit, he wasn't like Case Keenum where he might make a jump pass or he might roll out and, and throw on the run. It was very much shaky in the pocket when he had pressure, and I think you're going to see a lot of that this year from Kirk Cousins. It's on John Filippo, the offensive coordinator, to solve that issue. I'll write that down as next. I've got him. College got him. James Murphy, I'm sure, swinging for the fences. It's Mackie and Judd from the state. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 